Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Tonight, the Sea to Sky luxury car rally that was supposed to look like this, but ended up looking like this, and this, with several serious injuries. Now, who's to blame? Plus. I always figured one day that's going to happen, but I thought maybe it happened in the wintertime, not in, not in the summertime. An out-of-control motorhome crashes into a house in Surrey, what we're now learning, and... Yeah, I have shortness of breath. I still feel at times like I'm suffocating. A BC nurse still struggles with COVID symptoms four months after her so-called recovery. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. RCMP confirm a luxury car taking part in a rally to the Whistler area this long weekend was involved in a serious multi-vehicle crash on the Sea to Sky Highway, one that shut down the route for hours yesterday. Several people, including two children, were rushed to hospital. The cause? Well, as Julia Foy reports, it'll take some time to find the answers. The Hublot Diamond Rally, which runs from Vancouver to Pemberton, is a dream come true for high-end car enthusiasts. Super amped about being able to race supercars. Like Adam Blender, who races and critiques vehicles on his Van City Audi YouTube channel. I was participating in the Hublot Diamond Rally. It's the first time I've attended the event. The main purpose of attending the rally was to generate funds for the BCSBCA as it is a charity event. But Saturday's drive was cut short after a three-car accident shut down the Sea to Sky Highway near Daisy Lake. We ended up coming to a stop. We were there for three and a half hours, traffic just sitting there. Six people were injured, including two young children, one of which was airlifted to Children's Hospital. Police say a Land Rover, a Toyota crossover and a Lamborghini were involved in the crash. Whistler RCMP released in a statement, I can confirm the silver Lamborghini travelling north was part of the Diamond Hublot rally. We are investigating both the drivers of the Range Rover and the Lamborghini for dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. We have 150 plus cars. We reached out to Diamond Rally President Craig Stowe, but we didn't get a response to our request for comment. Blender says the Hublot Diamond Rally was originally booked for early May, not the Labor Day weekend, which ICBC calls one of the deadliest times for car crashes. But COVID-19 safety concerns caused the rally to be postponed several times. Spent a lot of time, money and effort to raise money and get the car prepped and get up there and for something terrible like this to happen uh, was a horrible experience for everyone involved. Anyone with phone or dash cam video about the accident is asked to contact Whistler RCMP. Julia Foy, Global News. The Saanich Police Traffic Unit busted two new drivers yesterday. The department says a motorcycle officer intercepted both at once when they appeared to be racing while speeding excessively in a rural area. Both of the novice drivers were allegedly clocked at 110 kilometers an hour in a 60 zone. A Volkswagen sedan and a pickup truck were impounded and the drivers slapped with violation tickets. 
New video tonight of a crash involving a runaway motorhome in Surrey. A neighbor's surveillance camera was recording when the driver of the RV lost control on a hill and slammed into a house in the Guilford area yesterday. It happened on 140th Street at 116th Avenue. More than 24 hours later, the motorhome remains inside the house, which was knocked off its foundation in a few places. We're told the house needs to be stabilized before the RV can be towed away. Fortunately, there was no one home at the time of the crash. It's not clear why the female driver of the motorhome lost control. She had to be rescued from the wreckage. RCMP say her injuries are non-life-threatening. Went around the backside thinking I can get through the back, but there was no way to get up on the deck and the basement was locked. So I came back to the top of the street. There was a few neighbors crawling around the motorhome, but they couldn't get in. And then shortly after that, you could hear the sirens and the ambulance and the emergency crew coming. So everybody just sort of cleared the situation and let them come in and do their job. A Squamish woman says her family is stuck with a possible death trap in her driveway. She claims faulty brakes on her 2020 Chevy Colorado are to blame for a collision. But as Grace Key reports, General Motors disputes the fact that the brakes are at fault. The Savoys aren't driving this 2020 Chevy Colorado after claiming to have experienced two brake failures. In July, Daniel's husband couldn't stop on a Squamish back road. The brakes just went to the floor and he just started rolling fast forward, couldn't stop. Um, he was on a slight incline, and so when the incline came to be flat, he eventually stopped. But everything checked out okay with the dealer. The next week, Danielle was in the car with her daughter when she says the same thing happened to her as she approached a stoplight. My pedal just went directly to the floor, and I had no braking power whatsoever and I slammed into the back of another vehicle. Uh, GM came out and did their own investigation and, and concluded that um, there's nothing wrong with the brakes, um, that the airbag data in fact says that my foot was not on the brakes during the accident. The rear-ended car was a write-off. Their Colorado was $3,000 shy of a write-off and Danielle was on the hook for the accident. That's when she says her auto body shop manager experienced the same problem. He has his foot on the brake and that the vehicle just continues to roll forward and that he almost hits a wall but he applies emergency brake which in turn stops the vehicle. ICBC, GM and Transport Canada weren't able to replicate the complete brake failure, but there were issues that Danielle recorded with their permission. The brake pedal hits the floor. It shouldn't do that. And there's a reading issue. I put my foot on the brake and it still says released. That's not right. It should say active. They're still saying that, yes, there's something wrong with the brakes, but you can't prove that that's what caused the accident. When Global News reached out directly to GM, the company stated, we are aware of this case and are in the process of completing a thorough evaluation. ICBC says, while our investigation is still underway, we completed an inspection on August 26, and our preliminary analysis indicates that a crash may have been due to braking issues. But the cause of the apparent braking issues are unknown. I worry that this is not just happening to me and that it can happen to somebody else. And I... I really would like for GM to acknowledge the issue and to take responsibility and to, to issue a recall if need be. The incident remains under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. 
A warning from Vancouver Coastal Health officials. If you attended any of three Granville Street nightclubs last week, you may have been exposed to COVID-19. Patrons who went to the Cabana Lounge and Studio Lounge and Nightclub on Friday, August 28th, are being advised to self-monitor for symptoms. Another potential exposure happened at the Compound Heaven between 9.45 p.m. and 1 a.m. on Saturday, August 29th. Health authorities say the possible exposures are believed to be low risk. Sandwich police now have special duty officers working weekends to police large gatherings during the pandemic. Last month, the department outside of Victoria received several calls about more than 100 teens swarming the streets with no signs of social distancing. The group had gathered at a local school before dispersing at the time. The department could not enforce crowding complaints, but is now deploying officers to proactively attend areas where large outdoor gatherings occur and attend calls for noisy parties. Not surprisingly, they are being kept busy. New numbers from the Canada Border Services Agency show despite restrictions, thousands of foreign nationals have been able to get into the country for non-essential reasons. The Canada-U.S. border has been open to business-only travelers since mid-March, and like Mike LeCouture explains, some believe it should remain that way into next year. For months during this pandemic, advice from health professionals has been to stay at home or at least to stay in your country as international borders were tightened. But that hasn't stopped visitors from trying to come to Canada. According to stats from the Canada Border Services Agency, between March 22nd and September 2nd, more than 18,000 foreign nationals were denied entry into Canada because their purpose of travel was deemed, quote, discretionary. Of those people, a little more than 16,000 were U.S. citizens and nearly 2,400 were citizens of other countries arriving from the U.S. Also over that same period, 448 travelers tried to get into Canada by air arriving from other foreign nations. Canada and the U.S. recently agreed to keep the travel limited between the two countries until at least September 21st. And while some have questioned whether or not it's actually needed, some infectious disease experts suggest the current restrictions should remain in place for months to come. But when we open the border is a question of um, considering many, many factors. I do think that at some point in 2021 it could happen, but I do think it will be in the post-vaccine era. Now, just when we'll get a vaccine isn't clear. Several candidates are still undergoing clinical trials, and none have reached that crucial last step before distribution, which is to be tested by Health Canada. Michael Couture, Global News, Ottawa. Victoria police are looking for two suspects in connection with a stabbing at Centennial Square last night at around 6 o'clock. A man told officers he had gotten into an argument with another man and was attacked, then chased by a second man. The first suspect is described as partly Caucasian with dreadlocks and wearing a green shirt. He also wore a knife with a, on his waistband and was accompanied by a husky dog. And the second suspect is described as between 25 to 30 years old with long hair and wearing aviator sunglasses. The victim was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. If you recognize the suspect's descriptions, you are asked to call Victoria Police or Crime Stoppers. 
An endangered orca that once carried her dead calf around BC waters has given birth again. The mother known as J35 was seen yesterday with her 10-year-old son and day-old calf J57 off the San Juan Islands in Washington state. The Pacific Whale Watch Association was the first to spot the new addition to J-Pod. The Center for Whale Research confirmed that 22-year-old mother J35 has a new baby. The orca made international headlines two years ago when she pushed the body of her newborn through the Salish Sea for 17 days, highlighting the plight of southern resident killer whales. In the South Okanagan, a wildfire southwest of Penticton is now considered under control. Fire officials say the 1.5 hectare Green Mountain Road fire is now a smoldering grass fire and it's generating a lot less smoke. Crews on the ground were putting out hot spots today, but air crews weren't needed. The BC Wildfire Service says it's suspected to be human caused. So just ensure that if you are um, in the back country, that you are mindful of your fire usage. Uh, make sure that your uh, your campfire is 0.5 uh, width and height, uh, width and height, um, as well as making sure that you have a shovel or eight liters of water, um, as well as a fuel free surrounded by the fire. Weather could be a factor in the firefight across the province in the coming days. Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement warning of windy conditions with gusts of up to 60 kilometers an hour overnight and into tomorrow. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell has more on that coming up. Provincial health officials routinely release stats on the number of patients who are considered recovered after contracting COVID-19. But some are anything but. As Kristen Robinson reports, a Chilliwack-registered nurse is among a growing number of so-called long haulers who have no idea when or if they'll ever feel well again. Are you kidding me? No way. Audrey Vanderhoek's reaction to COVID was blunt. I think there's a, 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 a bit of a delusion that it's not going to get you until it gets you, and then your world completely changes. In the weeks before her May 2nd diagnosis, the registered nurse had been battling the virus on the front lines in hospital. Suddenly, the athletic 55-year-old mother of four was sidelined with a sore throat, sniffles, and body aches. I thought, oh, hey, if this is all it is, I'm, you know, I'm physically fit. This is going to be, this is going to be great. I'm going to breeze through it. Vanderhoek was wrong. As she fought the virus in self-isolation at home, her symptoms got progressively worse. Every day was unpredictable. Lingering anxiety, a swollen throat, intense headaches and chest pain. At the end of May, she was a statistic. After a negative swab, Vanderhoek officially became one of the more than 4,000 people who've recovered from COVID-19 in BC. But her headaches and neurological symptoms persist. The um, brain fog and brain fatigue was startling. I couldn't bring my physical body and my mental body like together. I have shortness of breath. I still feel at times like I'm suffocating. But as far as I know, I have no lung involvement. Four months later, Vanderhoek knows she's in it for the long haul and has a new appreciation for people with chronic illnesses. She also says a COVID rehab center where survivors could get testing would be helpful. Uh, to see if their heart's being damaged, to see what their blood, you know, what their blood uh, work will show. It's been quite a journey, I have to say. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
A church in New Westminster is getting a lot of attention for its modern take on scripture in this time of COVID. Have a look. The sign in front of the Knox Presbyterian Church reads, Thou shalt not COVID thy neighbor's life. Wear a mask. It's a play, of course, on one of the Ten Commandments, which states, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, this church always has fantastic signage, and this is just the latest and greatest. Um, <laughs> I think that more people need to follow this. A tightly knit community in Oshawa is grieving for the four family members shot dead inside their own home on Friday morning. The mother of that family, 50-year-old Loretta Trainer, is the only survivor of the shooting, and the gu accused gunman is her brother. Morgan Campbell reports from outside the family's home where a memorial is growing. Friends say Chris and Loretta Trainer were high school sweethearts who dedicated their adult lives to education and giving back to their community. They were incredible people and they had a beautiful family. And if you knew them, you loved them. And you can't not respect who they were for this entire community. A memorial grows outside of their Oshawa, Ontario home. This is where police say the family was gunned down by Loretta's brother. Officers believe Mitchell Lapa drove from Winnipeg and entered the trainer's home uninvited early Friday morning with a long gun, killing Chris and three of their children and wounding Loretta. Sources tell Global News the shooting may have been over a family will. What I've met of them, they've been super sweet family, probably the sweetest I've met in a long time. Chris was a teacher at Monsignor Paul Dwyer Catholic High School, where tributes have been placed outside the main doors. Loretta was a teacher at St. Teresa Catholic School. Flags there have been lowered in her memory. I don't think our community's ever faced anything like this in the history of our great city. I can't find the right words. We're just absolutely devastated. The Durham Catholic District School Board has offered support to students and their families, a measure to help people heal from such a tragedy. When we're in something together that there are emotions um, and to connect. However, I would also say it's okay to, to have some solitude, um, some self-reflection, some time for self-care as well. Uh, and you really want to balance those two. Meanwhile, more than $71,000 has been raised in support of the surviving members of the trainer family. They were the type of people we should all strive to be. If you were any less of a person than what that family modeled, you should be striving for more in your life. Police haven't issued any updates since Friday. They do, however, remain on scene here in Oshawa. There's also a police presence in Winnipeg outside of the apartment complex where it's believed Lapa lived. Morgan Campbell, Global News. More than 200 people at a California campground had to be rescued by military helicopters. The Creek Fire in Central California has burned at least 18,000 hectares, one of at least three major fires across the state fueled by extreme temperatures and high winds. An inferno raging out of control tonight in California's Sierra National Forest. The 100-foot flames destroying homes, leaving a trail of destruction. And even trapping campers. All the roads are burnt. California's National Guard airlifting more than 200 people to safety from Mammoth Pool Reservoir. The dozens injured are recovering tonight. The creek fire they escaped from burning more than 46,000 acres so far. The sheriff came and told us that we didn't have to evacuate, but he was advising we do. 
because he didn't know if the fire would jump the road and we couldn't get out. In San Diego, the Valley Fire tripling in size overnight, ripping through 4,000 acres, already burning 10 homes and threatening more. We all have houses built after 2005. There's so much fuel at the base of that hill. I don't know if they'll weather the storm or not. And 100 miles east of L.A., the El Dorado fire exploding in size, scorching more than 3,000 acres now burning in rugged terrain. California's wildfires are record-breaking and relentless. So far this year alone, the state has seen almost 2 million acres burned. A key driver, climate change, causing more frequent and longer-lasting infernos. Fire crews are stretched thin. The military has become a more common sight. And for those trapped by the increasingly erratic flames, backup arrived just before time ran out. And the National Guard used a Chinook helicopter to rescue 20 people at a time. Those that were left behind to wait their turn were told to jump into the lake to escape the flames. Tonight, thousands of people across the state are under a mandatory evacuation as several fires continue to burn out of control. And the record heat that's helping fuel these flames expected to last through at least tomorrow. Hopes for a miracle have ended in Beirut. After announcing they had detected signs of life in the rubble of a building destroyed in last month's explosion, rescuers now say they were wrong. The signs of a pulse and breathing turned out to have come from fellow rescuers. On August 4th, tons of ammonium nitrate exploded at Beirut's port, killing 191 people and wounding nearly 6,500 others. Seven people remain unaccounted for. Hundreds turned out in Portland to mark the city's 100th night of protests against police brutality, with several people being detained by officers in what started out as a peaceful protest. One man caught fire when Molotov cocktails were thrown. A group of people tried to help him smother the flames. Shortly after that, Portland police declared a riot and deployed tear gas. Demonstrations continued late into the evening with a march to the police bureau's east precinct. It's unclear if anyone will be charged. A terrifying flight on board a military chartered plane over Hawaii last night. One passenger says he saw flames shooting from the right engine three minutes after taking off from Honolulu. He then heard loud banging noises as the jet dropped in altitude. The pilot announced they'd experienced engine failure and were returning to the airport. He says it took another 20 to 15, 15 to 20 minutes before they made a safe landing. What started as a pro-Trump boat parade in Lake Travis in Texas on Saturday turned into a disaster as several boats sank. Some of the larger vessels generated big wakes. It's believed at least four boats ended up taking on water. Others crashed into rocks. The event had been advertised on Facebook, calling for boats of all shapes and sizes to participate and for owners to decorate their vessels with as many Trump flags as they could carry. No injuries or medical emergencies were reported. French researchers have found a clear relationship between obesity and more severe cases of COVID-19. They found almost all intensive care patients with the virus who are severely obese ended up on a ventilator. That compares to fewer than half of those with a healthy body mass index. They also discovered nearly all COVID-19 patients in the ICU were overweight or obese. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
the site that had motorists on the Alex Fraser Bridge very concerned and how police responded. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, this critically endangered western chimpanzee was born at a zoo in England on August 21st. The zoo said that with just 18,000 western chimpanzees remaining in the wild, the birth is hugely significant for the species. Primate experts still have to determine the sex of the newborn before a name is chosen. Okay, Yvonne, that was that was <laughs> Cute awful. factor just went no way up. Kidding. Okay, so <laughs> wind is expected, right? Yeah, that's the big weather story that we're following, but we are going to see uh, sunshine in the mix, dry conditions, and it is going to get hot as we look ahead towards next week. So I'll have that with the long range in just a moment. A quick glance at what it looks like. This is the shot overlooking English Bay. We've had some breaks in the cloud cover. It is mainly cloudy out of the airport right now. 19 as the current temperature and a light southwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across, across the province today into the low 30s. Areas near Soyuz today up to 34 degrees. It was a hot one. Trail today topping out at 35 degrees. Overnight tonight, we've got a few clouds. We've got temperatures down to 11 degrees for the early morning hours. It is going to be on the cool side, so a heads up. And then by the afternoon highs, closer to 25 degrees away from the water with the humidex. It's going to feel into the low 30s. Now, satellite and radar, we are still seeing a bit of instability for the northeastern corners of the province. Central interior with a few isolated showers. That'll start to taper off. And there is a weak front that's pushing in across the province but we are going to see a nice clearing on the way that'll be for the northern half much needed and then the other weather story that we're following the ridge continues to build but with it we've got very gusty winds tomorrow outflow winds a range between 16 up to 70 kilometers per hour that's for all the areas that are indicated in gray and we'll see the peak of the wind for the afternoon, but still very windy, especially as you approach the evening hours. So if you're planning on being out and about or on your patio, we are looking at windy conditions for the day tomorrow. Now the jet stream and the upper level flow, we will see that ridge continuing to build a touch cooler for the southern interior tomorrow into the low 20s. And then it builds once again midweek onwards. And we'll see the heat peak for Metro Vancouver. These are temperatures away from the water into the low 30s. Wednesday, Thursday, hot and most spots for the southern interior will start to see that increase in temperatures as we get Wednesday onwards and still very hot and sunny for both days of the weekend so far. A reminder with the hot and dry conditions, the fire danger rating for the southeastern corners high to extreme, much of the southern interior also underneath high, so please be very diligent with your campfires and disposing of your cigarette butts. There is cloud cover along the northern half of the province for the coast tomorrow, a clearing on the way with dry conditions. Much of the central interior, sunny, highs closer to 17 degrees and then towards the south of it, a few spots could see more cloud cover, isolated showers for the southeastern corners, and then a clearing on the way towards the afternoon. It'll be a touch cooler. Temperatures today, for example, in the Okanagan got up to 30 degrees. Tomorrow it'll be in the low 20s, and then it's Wednesday, Thursday. The heat is on for many spots right across the province. Whistler tomorrow, pleasant highs up to 25 degrees. It'll be a touch cooler, especially by the water, and very windy. So that's the big weather story for tomorrow. Outflow, gusty outflow winds. We're going to get up to 70 kilometers per hour. It is going to be a hot one with the Humidex. It'll feel closer to 30 degrees. And Colleen, our five-day forecast, plenty of sunshine. Very hot as we get in towards our Wednesday. Wednesday. A last blast of summer. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, Halloween is still weeks away, but drivers on the Alex Fraser Bridge got an early fright this weekend. Delta Police Traffic Unit posted this photo yesterday saying the curled-up black dog you've been calling in about as possibly in distress mid-span? Turned out to be this, once unfolded. Yeah, we're just as relieved as you are. Anyone missing the family spider? <laughs>
Well, good on them for phoning in, being worried that a dog might be in distress. Yes, and that it's not a real spider. Yeah, that it's not a real spider or <laughs> okay. a dog. Yeah. Real spiders are scary. Not yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> what do you got coming up, Barry? Uh, lots of tennis. Denis Shapovalov trying to become the first Canadian man to ever make it to the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. His match is on right now. We'll have highlights. And Novak Djokovic, the number one seed, is out. But he got ousted. Uh, not the traditional way. You won't believe no. uh, what happened to him. Whether or not to send your children back to class is a very personal decision with many, many variables. Some parents are, while others who have the option are choosing to distance learn or homeschool. Now, as Aaron Streck reports, a family in Ontario is trying to help others successfully make that adjustment. It's really nice just to be able to keep school separate from home life. Summer break is over and the new school year has started for the Hess family. These are the actual While many people will be experiencing at-home learning for the first time, this is the ninth year Erica Hess has taught her own kids. I enjoy seeing them learn and grow and being a part of that process. I'm staying organized. Hess has four children ranging from 13 to 5 years old. She says it can be hard sometimes with the different grade levels. I typically try to make time for each person. So I have one-on-one -on -one time. So whether it's their math or language they're struggling with and the others read alone or whatever, I usually try to divide my time. Over the years, Hess says she's been learning with her kids and she aims to go at whatever pace suits them best. That you're ready to slow down if your kids need to slow down. You're ready to speed up if your child needs to speed up. And most importantly, just that the learning is fun. If they're really interested in something, dive deeper in it. If I really put my mind to it, I could get my schoolwork done in like four hours. Negative one. Math has been an ongoing challenge for Isaac Hess. Now in grade eight, he says that one-on-one -on -one help has improved his grades in that subject. She spent a lot of time with me just tutoring me in math and helping me and like I'm a lot better now. I like learning from my mom because she explains things really well. While structure is important, Erica Hess says it's also an opportunity for parents to hone in on their children's weaknesses. You have that opportunity at home. So while in a classroom setting, you may spend 45 minutes on this one thing and your child's still struggling, you could spend a couple hours, multiple days on that. So you got to figure out a way. This school year will be a learning experience for many families across the province. For those at home. As long as you see real growth and progress, then they're doing fine. Aaron Strack, Global News. Many BC kids are heading back to class on Thursday and school will look very different. It's something Japanese educators have already done and so far, quite successfully. Just like always, pupils at Tokyo's East Kanamachi Elementary arrive at 8 a.m., remove shoes and head to class. And just like generations before them, Yuka Katayama's first grade class bows in the day's studies. But there's nothing usual about school now. Masks are mandatory, desks are barricaded in vinyl. Handwashing has become a careful ritual. Lunchtime, usually a highlight of the day, where kids dress up and serve each other, has now become a struggle to keep them as spaced and quiet as possible. They're first graders, so they think this is normal. It's really hard to teach a regular class while keeping everyone safe. Compounding the challenge for Japanese schools is crowded classrooms. Regulations here allow up to 40 children per class. That's double what experts say is optimal during a pandemic. 
With physical fitness declining and kids putting on extra weight as families stay home more, teachers have had to get creative about gym class, said the health instructor. All games and close contact are out. We try to keep them all facing one direction and avoid shouting. Stickers everywhere are a constant reminder to socially distance. Stay far apart physically, but close spiritually, they read. But total compliance from six-year-olds, the principal concedes, is futile. Instead of banning all conversation and keeping kids in a constant state of fear and vigilance, it's better to get the basic safeguards right. Anxious teachers and parents are hoping that strategy works. Lucy Kraft, CBS News, Tokyo. Barry's here with sports. Some pretty awesome tennis going on right now. Yeah, it uh, could be something special coming up here in the next uh, week or so. Yeah, thanks, Colleen. Last year, it was uh, Bianca Andreescu who became the first Canadian to ever win a Grand Slam singles title when she beat Serena Williams at the U.S. Open. This year, it's the Canadian men who are making history. Three players, Vancouver and Vernon's Vashik Pospisil, Felix Auger-Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov have all advanced to the fourth round. The first time ever that three Canadians have made it that far at a major. And tonight, Shapovalov is the first to try and get into the quarterfinals. Shapovalov taking on veteran, uh, veteran David Goffin of Belgium. Goffin won their only previous meeting last year in Tokyo. Tight first set. Dennis in the far court. Fantastic running forehand cross-court winner. How did he get to that? Great shot by Shapovalov. First set went to a tie break. It was such a tight set until the tie break when it was all Goffin. Hits the clean winner. He actually took the tie break. Seven points to love. And so he takes that first set. But Shapovalov turned it up a notch in the second. Runs down the Goffin forehand. And it's another fantastic pass down the line hooks it in there perfectly right on the line Shapovalov gets the break and he would take that set 6-3 pivotal third set now opening game Dennis with another punishing forehand gets the early break to go up one love and he's now up 4-3 in the third set complete highlights tonight at 11 meanwhile a bizarre series of events surrounding world number one and top seed Novak Djokovic in the first set of his fourth round match a frustrated Djokovic whacked the ball towards the back wall and hit the lines person in the throat. Djokovic immediately came over to apologize, but the official had to leave for medical attention, and by rule, Djokovic had to default his match against Pablo Carreno Busto, so he is out of the U.S. Open. The winner of the Shapovalov-Gofan match now gets Carreno Busto in the quarterfinals instead of Djokovic, so things are now wide open. And just a bizarre setting. NHL playoffs, game one, Western Conference final, Dallas and Vegas. Marc-Andre Fleury starting in goal for the Golden Knights. And just over two minutes in, John Klingberg gives the Stars the early lead, following up the Jamie Benn shot. Dallas has outshot Vegas 21-10 at last check. Vegas looks like the tired team tonight. It's 1-0 in the second. NBA playoffs, Milwaukee in a 3-0 hole versus Miami. Giannis Antetokounmpo did start after spraining his right ankle in Game 3. He had 19 points in 11 minutes but re-injured the ankle on this play. Goes down in a heap. He was screaming in pain. It was a tough scene for Giannis and the Bucks. He left the game, did not return. But the Bucks. Maybe inspired, dug deep, took the game to overtime, and Chris Middleton, who was a no-show the first three games, stepped up big time, 36 points, including this huge late three-pointer. Bucks stay alive, 118-115 in OT. Third round of the Tour Championship from Atlanta, final tournament of the FedEx Cup playoff, just a 30-man field. The only Canadian, Mackenzie Hughes, 
on the 15th from 52 feet. That goes down for the birdie. He was with a four under 66, and he is now tied for 20th at five under par. Minimum payout in this event, 400,000, so it pays to get to the finals. Dustin Johnson, though, running away from the field on 12. Birdie from the fringe, a fringe, six under 64 today. A five-shot lead on Justin Thomas and Xander Shoffley. One round to go, 15 million to the winner. Blue Jays and Red Sox completing their series at Fenway. Jays fell behind 4-1, but roared back thanks to a six-run fifth inning. Kevin Biggio launches a double off the green monster. Two-run score, and it's 7-4 Toronto. And then in the sixth, Rowdy Telez will smash a solo home run to dead center field. Jays go on to win it 10-8. They're now solo second in the AL East, a game up on the Yankees, and the Jays and Yanks start a crucial series tomorrow. Formula One, Monza, home to the Italian Grand Prix. Another disastrous day for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc loses control of his car, goes into the wall hard, and the race had to be stopped. Red flag for uh, quite a while. Great ride for Canada's Lance Stroll. Clawed his way onto the podium thanks to some quality driving. Overtakes Kimi Raikkonen here. Stroll on the podium in third as he continues his great season. Alpatore's Pierre Gasly claims an unlikely win at the Italian Grand Prix taking advantage of a Lewis Hamilton 10-second stop and go penalty as Hamilton finished seventh. And Whitecaps returned to BC Place last night for the first time in over six months. It was a winning return versus Toronto FC. Whitecaps score their first goal in four matches. Ali Adnan with the long service. Lucas Cavallini with his first goal as a Whitecap. He was their big acquisition over the summer. Paid to score goals. Well, he's finally got one, and that was a beauty. So one nothing Whitecaps. Second half, now 1-1. It's another young Canadian, Michael Baldissimo, the 20-year-old Vancouver native, with an unforgettable first MLS goal, a cracker to the far corner. 2-1 Whitecaps. Toronto tied it, but back come the Caps off another set piece. Andy Rose to Jake Nerwinski for the winner. 3-2 Whitecaps hang on for the big three points. Uh, three goals after being shut out in five of their last six. Former Vancouver 86ers and national team goalkeeper Sven Haberman knows all about teamwork. Haberman has been leaning on some former teammates over the past year as he battles cancer. And we're pleased to say he's in remission, but he still needs your help. Jay Janauer picks up the story. Striding onto the soccer pitch is something Sven Haberman has done all his life. But 12 months ago, that all changed. Um, when I was diagnosed exactly a year ago, it was stage four, uh, mantle cell lymphoma. Uh, the oncologist said it's non-curable and where you have it, it's not good. <laughs> so no, I, I'm actually really lucky to be standing here talking to you right now. For Bunbury, can he turn and get a shot? Bunbury skips one in the hammer. His efforts on the pitch were applauded for years. For the better part of a decade, Haberman was the keeper of choice for a handful of professional clubs including the Vancouver 86ers. He was also a member of Canada's 1984 Olympic side and a member of the 86 World Cup squad. And that ability to battle on the pitch game in and game out, enabling Sven to swap his keeper's mitts for a set of boxing gloves so he could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with cancer. I always equate it to a training camp. Um, in soccer, you don't know if you're going to make the team, but you do everything in your power to make that team. Same with my battle with cancer. I was talking with my oncologist and he was strategizing on keeping me alive a little bit longer. Uh, in the end he said 
what I'm going to do is prolong your life. And I said, and I remember just, just like I was in the dressing room talking to one of my fullbacks, I said, you do your job and I'll do my job. And that's exactly what Sven's done. He made dramatic changes to his diet, went through countless chemotherapy sessions and a bone marrow transplant. A year later, his terminal cancer is now in remission. But now he's fighting another battle, a survival of a different kind due to the COVID world we're all currently living in. When I was told three weeks ago that you're in remission and you've got a good chance to, to, to have a rewarding life, I thought, okay, now I've got all these expenses uh, over the past year and I'm not allowed to work until at least January. A chance. To help ease the stress of that heavy financial burden, a GoFundMe campaign has been set up by Haberman's former teammates. After all these years, they still have his back, much like Sven did decades ago when he was the last line of defense on an 86ers squad that won a professional sports record 46 games without a loss. He was uh, a guy that kept it really light in the locker room. I, I got more stories about Sven, Sven Haberman than any other person I know. I'm not afraid of the inevitable. We're all going to get there, but I'm not ready just yet, so I'm going to do everything in my power to stay around for a while. Just a year ago. Yeah. Just a year ago. He beard. Yes, exactly. Okay, uh, some things are just meant to be. Case in point, a little boy with a birth defect found a kindred spirit, a puppy that has it too. The pair share something on the outside, giving them an instant bond on the inside. Pure happiness at the Jackson County Animal Shelter on Friday. Two-year-old Bentley Boyers got to bring his new puppy home. Last week, Bentley's dad, Brandon, came to the animal shelter to look at two chickens he was thinking to adopt when a pooch caught his eye, a puppy with a cleft lip. He FaceTimed, he goes, I think this one has a cleft lip, and I said, get her. We need her. Bentley was born with a cleft lip. His mom said he had a tough start in life where it was a struggle to get him to eat. We had to sit him up and feed him and hold his lip together in order for him to eat, so it was a process. Since day one, he's been a happy baby. Ashley says his cleft lip doesn't make him any different. The family feels finding the puppy will show Bentley he isn't alone. To see him have something in common with the puppy means a lot because he can grow up and understand that him and his puppy have both had something that they can share in common. The animal shelter says they don't normally see puppies with cleft palates. Before her adoption, they had her for a week and don't see that she will have any problems in the future. Her disability is really not holding her back. Um, you know, and as she grows, they'll be able to see more if there's anything changing that has to do with that, but she's really doing well. She might look a little bit different than a normal dog would, but it's not slowing her down at all. At just two months and two years, the imperfect super duo find a perfect match. This is my puppy. Oh. oh They're going to be best milking. friends forever. Yes. You can tell. Absolutely love that story. And they're both such beautiful people, the puppy and the little boy. Gosh, they're cute. Listen, that is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11 o'clock. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great night.